We've had a lot of great guests for our segment, Ask a Blank Anything. We've done all sorts of different professions, lifestyles, and today, ask someone in that orange helicopter anything. Orange helicopters, if you do not know, that's the air ambulance that we rely on here in the province of Ontario. And who staffs it? Who is flying an orange ambulance? Let's find out right now when we talk to Marcy Baudouin. She is a um, orange critical care uh, flight paramedic. Uh, Marcy, thank you very much for your time. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. So, um, do you need any more kind of training or experience to fly in an orange? Do we just call them orange helicopters, or what do you guys call them? Uh, orange air ambulance, orange helicopters. Okay, so an orange air ambulance. Do ambulance? Do you have any more experience as a uh, paramedic than someone who would be on the ground in an ambulance? Uh, we do have uh, more training. The um, there's three different levels of paramedicine in Ontario. Uh, the primary care paramedic program is two years in college, and then there's uh, the advanced care paramedic program, which is another year. Uh, there's a flight component that's generally around six months, and then uh, uh, for us, being critical care, there's an additional uh, one year to 18 months of training uh, with uh, on-the-job um, practical experience in order to get to the critical care level. So overall, it's about uh, five years of additional education, or five years of, of education overall. And so you have some sort of flight training? What is that? Uh, it's just doing some uh, specific um, flight education and knowing what uh, kind of effects there are on patients uh, at altitude. Um, and then there's some specific operational and logistics type training when you're working in the air environment, uh, just that you need to be aware of. So... How much of your time is actually in the helicopter? And I don't mean this in a bad way. You have to be ready to go at the drop of a dime. But is there a lot of downtime? And what do you do in that downtime when you're waiting for a call? Um, it's good to try and be productive uh, in, the, in downtime. Um, a lot of my, myself and a lot of my colleagues have done some additional education, uh, worked on doing degrees. Uh, there's always stuff to do around the base. There's always equipment that has to be checked and replenished and stock that has to be uh, done. And there's always um, general base duties, um, you know, cleaning and upkeep that are required. So clearly you're always working, but what I, I guess for the sake of this segment, we would I would call work when, you know, the helicopter takes off and lands at the emergency place and then comes back to the uh, hospital. So what, what amount of, would you go a week without ever getting into the helicopter? Or like, what's the longest stretch that you've got where you didn't actually have to take off in the helicopter to go help save somebody's life? Um, I would say that the most, probably uh, one or two shifts. And a lot of that uh, is weather dependent as well. So there's certain conditions that um, our helicopters can't fly in. Now we do have alternative methods of, of transportation. So what's happening more uh, recently, we have a, in Ottawa, I'm based out of Ottawa, we have a rotor wing ambulance. Yep. We have several fixed wing ambulances in the province. And in uh, some of our areas, we have uh, a ground transport critical care unit as well. So what happens now is if the weather is poor, we're able to get an alternate means of transportation. So in our land ambulance and still get that patient from point A to point B. How many... I, do all hospitals have the ability for a helicopter to land on the roof? No, uh, unfortunately they don't. So that, that does have an impact on uh, on transport times. Um, sometimes it's when you're looking at moving a patient from 
point A to point B, uh, if there isn't a ho- if there isn't a helipad at that hospital, sometimes it's more appropriate to move that patient by a fixed wing or by one of our land units. Is what is the criteria, the standard, the the different boxes that you have to check to make sure that an orange ambulance uh, helicopter is going to be dispatched? Is it distance? Is it how severe someone is injured? Well, generally it goes by. Uh, severity and acuity of patients. So we, we really move the most critically ill and injured. Uh, and that's the majority of the case in uh, southern and central Ontario. Uh, in northern Ontario, however, the sheer demographics uh, of northern Ontario and the distances uh, involved. Sometimes some of our, our fixed-wing colleagues in northern Ontario are moving patients the equivalent of flying from Toronto to Florida. Uh, so there is some significant distances, and in, in those cases, in the more remote communities, it's based on location. So the fixed wing, when you say that, that basically means if there's somebody way up in northern Ontario and they need to go to a hospital in Ottawa or in Toronto, they'll fly to an airport and then they'll be transported by a normal ambulance to the hospital? Or they'll go with our, our crews will generally fly to a northern community, go in and package the patient, provide any medical interventions that are required immediately, and then fly them to wherever they're going to and uh, follow them into the hospital. So we usually follow patients through from start to finish. Show Graham, ask an orange ambulance paramedic anything. And Marcy is uh, joining us. She is a critical care flight paramedic. So how many people, how many patients can you take in one air ambulance? Uh, our aircraft are really designed for um, critical patients. So we're like a small intensive care unit, and really the focus is on moving one critically injured patient or critically ill patient at a time. Have you ever been to an accident where you needed more than one helicopter? Absolutely. That happens quite frequently. Um, our neighboring helicopters are uh, Sudbury and Toronto, and we've quite often responded to scenes uh, with other helicopters. So we're talking to you from Ottawa today, if people didn't pick up on that earlier. So that would so there's one helicopter in Ottawa, or how many helicopters are there in Ottawa? There's one in Ottawa, um, two in Toronto, one in Sudbury. Um, we have a helicopter in London as well. And then we have a fixed wing in Thunder Bay, Sioux Lookout, um, Timmins, uh, we have a helicopter in Moosonee, and then we have some land units in Ottawa, Toronto, and Peterborough. How often do you get into a situation where the helicopter can't land and maybe you have to, you know, land somewhere and somebody's got to drive the patient to you? That happens quite often, uh, more often in the summertime because we're doing more remote type of, uh, we call them scene calls, so when we're landing at a, at a scene. Um, we've been involved in, in uh retrieving patients out of Algonquin Park where we've had to land uh, somewhere that's where there's a clearing because we need about 150 foot squared to land the helicopter uh, and then we find alternative means to get to the patient. Is it, I mean, it clearly is a tough job. You have to see all sorts of different car accidents and patients in any number of different um, conditions. How tough is that for you? I'm guessing PTSD is something that you or your fellow uh, paramedics in those situations have to deal with quite a bit. Uh, absolutely. Um, PTSD is, is really prevalent in uh, frontline healthcare workers. And I mean, I think it's important uh, when you're working in this field that you have a, a, a method to debrief or a method to unplug. 
Um, I think one of the most useful th- methods of debriefing for myself is just at the end of shift, uh, talking to your oncoming shift and your peers and discussing calls. I think that's really important. And, and then just making t- making sure that when you're away from work, you have time where you can unplug and you're away from work and you're not checking emails and you're not checking your phone um, and just taking time to uh, taking time to relax. If you pick me up on the side of the road in northern Ontario, is there a fee to take me? Uh, no, really our... We're so in the 911 system. Um, it's the patient who calls the 911 system uh, for a land ambulance, and there are fees to that. And I don't remember exactly what it is. It's somewhat subsidized by OHIP. But really, in the air ambulance system, the patient doesn't call us direct. It's the hospital that call us or the EMS services that call us. Yeah. Um, so there isn't a fee for us. We're just part of the greater healthcare system. How fast do those helicopters go? Oh, our aircraft, uh, around 250 to 300 kilometers an hour. Have you ever been afraid uh, because of, I don't know, conditions? I mean, are you dispatched in the middle of a snowstorm and that kind of stuff? Uh, or no, a, a... no our, it's, it's actually very, um, it's very safe. Our, our pilots are given a, a, a call to weather check, and no patient information of any kind is given to anybody until that call has been weather checked and has been cleared for a safe flight and is accepted. Um, and they go through a process, because um, they're specialists as pilots, and they go through that process and, and uh, accept the call. And I have been in, you know, in situations where we're en route to a call and the weather deteriorates and we have no alternative but to turn around. Yeah. So we'll turn around and then our dispatch will look at uh, another way. Maybe sometimes we can land at a... Uh, at a at an airport where an EMS service, we can work with them and they can pick us up and we continue. We can continue to move the patient. Here is Pete for Marcy, who is with us on Ask a Orange Ambulance Paramedic Anything. Uh, go ahead, Pete. Hey, how are you? Good. I, thing. Uh, I'm good. I, I don't actually have a question, Marcy. I just had something to tell you because uh, I feel that Orange Ambulance does a fantastic job and you never find out what happens to your patient and you never get a thank you because you're only there in the moment of the emergency. But I did want to tell you that uh, I'm a survivor because of Orange Ambulance. I uh, had a uh, police motorcycle accident a few years ago in Barrie, and I I lost my leg on the highway, and Air Ambulance picked me up, and uh, they saved my life. And maybe I know you weren't there, but I thank you, and I thank everybody that works there, and I'm sure you guys don't hear it enough. Oh, I appreciate that, Pete. Thank you very much. And, I mean... That's, it's so great that you called in because a lot of times when we, we pick up patients and we drop them off. And once we've transferred care of that patient, um, you know, with all the patient privacy acts, we really have no access yeah. uh, to follow up and we don't get to find out. So um, we really encourage our patients like, like Pete to, to share their stories and, and, it, and it gives us the opportunity uh, to follow up and find out how things are. Would you feel comfortable asking a question about the variety of awful things that you've seen? Um, sure. And what would it extend from, if you could give us an idea? Sorry, can you repeat the question? Just a, like the variety of how awful some of the things that you have to see are. Um, I mean, there's some there's some things that are um, difficult, um, and, and it's funny, and it's, it's different for everybody. Um, you would think, you know, blood and organs and bones and those kinds of things poking out would bother me. Uh, what bothers me more is is phlegm, which was which is really odd because that's not a huge, um, that's not a really a big deal in a lot of cases. But I have a difficult time um, with phlegm versus blood and guts and 
and everything else. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you're talking about different call types, um, obviously pediatrics are always difficult. Um, you know, we've had a few pediatric drownings this summer that, you know, you always you always think about and you always sometimes, you know, go through again in, in your head and, and try and think of how, you know, those kinds of things can be prevented. Um, what, while that, it's probably never, you know, the fault of someone who's got a job like you, is it hard not to blame yourself after you lose someone? Oh, um, absolutely. I mean, you always, you know, you do, you do what you can within your skills. Sometimes the forces of nature are just, uh, you know, they're just too strong and, and overcome what, what I'm capable of doing. But you know, you always go through it. Um, you, you go through things and, and see if there's anything you could have done differently. And that's all part of the briefing processes with, with our peers as well as we talk to our peers and, um, you know, just kind of help each other work things out and help each other talk to talk is there, things through. Is there through. something that we haven't asked? We've got so many questions. I thank our listeners on text and on phones. But is there something that we haven't asked that you think is important for us to know? I would say, based on the last couple of months that I've had at work, uh, don't mix alcohol with ATVs and wear helmets. That would be my best advice to everyone out there. ATVs, so not drownings during the summer, but people on ATVs out in remote areas doing things that the alcohol thinks that they could handle that they actually can't. Yeah, there's been uh, there's been a significant amount of those that I've that I've had uh, more this summer, and a lot of times it's just people you know hopping on and saying, "Oh, I'm just going down the road, or I'm just going to the other campsite." It's not a big deal, and uh, it, it can be a big deal. It can become a big deal, and you know things can change in an instant. Marcy, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me, Marcy Baudouin, who is an Orange Critical Care Critical Care Flight Paramedic. Ask a orange paramedic anything.